0: I get a lot of questions about how to ease perimenopause and menopause symptoms, and here's a really simple answer for you. Take a good mineral supplement. Your body loses a ton of minerals as you transition through perimenopause and menopause, and mineral deficiencies make a lot of the common symptoms worse. For example, if you're struggling with poor sleep, fatigue, joint pain, hot flashes, or any other side effects that are wearing you down Head over to beamminerals.com and use the code BETTER for 20% off. Hey, hey, Bettys. We are going to be talking all about clean beauty today. So what we need to be thinking about when we're thinking about cleaning up our current stash of personal care products and we'll be talking a little bit about some of the hidden toxicants and toxins and endocrine disrupting chemicals in there today and what we can be replacing it with and I really want to move the needle for you in terms of helping you understand what you need to be looking for and what small changes you can begin to make if this is something of interest to you, you know, what small changes we can be making in our everyday lives to help reduce your toxin exposure. And the reason why I wanted to do this episode was this was really born out of an Instagram post that I did uh, last week about the fallacy of this, you know, this quote that is often cited and that quote is, the dose makes the poison. And what that means is that there's this assumption in pharmacology, you know, the and when we say pharmacology, we're talking about, you know, medicines and drugs and toxicology, which are you know, one and the same. So pharmacology and toxicology are basically the same. We're, we're looking at the same thing. They're just on opposite ends of the spectrum. But this idea that this assumption that there's this linear relationship between a toxin, like a medication, and um, and the dose at which it becomes problematic. And, you know, I would say, you know, medication as is, you know, if, if that statement shocks you, medication is a toxin, right? So whether we're talking about a prescription medication to, you know, something that you can go to the pharmacy and purchase like an over the counter um, medication, these are usually classified as low dose toxins uh, or no dose toxins. And I'll explain a little bit more about what those mean today. But we do really have to shift our mindset to this idea that when we are ingesting some exogenous, usually petroleum based uh, toxicant toxin that is, you know, labeled as, you know, whatever drug um, it is we really want to be thinking about the risks associated with that. Because what I often see is this idea that we are promised the world with these drugs. And we, as we are, you know, we all want the quick fix, right? We're all super busy and I get it, right? Like modern life is really busy. It can be very stressful, Um, but we want this quick fix and we don't really want to look at how we can slowly actually fix the problem. So I wanted to just talk a little bit more about this today. And this assumption, the dose makes the poison. Like we assume that the more we get, the worse we get, or maybe the better we get, right? So depending on the proposed um, efficacy or potential uh, consequences of the product. And if you were to graph this on paper, if you were to graph out the dose makes the poison um, out on paper, you would you would draw and you know a straight parallel you know horizontal line which would represent the x axis, and then you would draw a line at a perpendicular ninety degrees uh, vertical line going up, and that would be the y axis going up and down. And if you were to assume that the dose makes the poison, then if you were to graph out the dosage would be, that would be represented by the X axis. And then the effect of the dosage, which would be the Y axis, you would basically get a straight line on the paper. If you're looking at it on a graph, it would basically be a perfect 45 degree angle from the start point of the XY graph. And it would be straight. It would be a straight line going up. And this is what's called a monotonic or linear dose response. And it was coined by, um, I hope I'm saying his name right. They call him the father of toxicology. It's Paracelsus, who, um, I mean, his original quote was all things are poison and nothing is without poison. So the dosage alone makes it so that the thing is not a poison. And that's often condensed to the dose makes the poison. Right. And what that means, what he's basically saying, and this was circa 1500s, like in the 1500s. And this is still, you know, it's like, can we maybe evolve the science from like the year 1500 to the year 2021? Like maybe. Um, but basically what he he was proposing was that a substance can produce a harmful effect, right? Associated with its toxic properties only if it reaches, you know, this, uh, a susceptible biological system within the body in a high enough concentration. And this principle basically talks about or, you know, relies on the findings that all chemicals, including water and oxygen really can be toxic, right? If too much is consumed, if it's too much is eaten or drank, you know, or, or, um, drank, drunk, what's the, what's the past tense of that? Dranken, drunken, uh, too much water is drunk, uh, or absorbed. And, um, really what's wrong with that is that there's no necessarily, there's no linear relationship and chemical toxicity is much more complex, right? Than this acute effects caused by the short-term exposure. And, you know, what we know of course, is that relatively low doses of contaminants in water and food and the environment already have, um, significant chronic effects if there's long-term exposure. So this is the, this is the point that I was trying to make in my Instagram post is that often pharmacology and toxicology, they will sort of look at this, this short delta, right? They'll look at the short amount of time that spends and they're basically just doing that to get FDA approval of something. But there's absolutely no chronic, there's no long-term data. There's no long-term studies on exposure. And further, they don't even look at like combinant effects. So if you have one um, drug that you're taking and what happens if you get put on another drug, what is the, you know, the symbiotic potentially or uh, parasitic um, effect that happens when you are taking those two things um, together. And of course, we also know that this like monotonic dose response is not universally True, it's not always that things are um linear. So if you think about um I remember back in university we um when they were explaining the way the grades were given out, they explain, and this is the first time I was ever really exposed to a bell-shaped curve was in university. It's like, most people are going to kind of aggregate around the mean. Most people are going to get about 60 or 70% on the test. Um, and I remember in university, they were always trying to sort of bring it down to like a 60, you know, they're trying to bring everyone down to a 60 degree, um, average. Um, and you'll get sort of these outliers on either end. Right. And I was like, I needs to be the outlier, right? Like I can't get the 60, had to get the 90. Right. But if you think about a bell-shaped, curve right it's sort of this um looks like a bell right so it has this exponential um increase uh, around the middle and then it's sort of this you know huge apex that happens almost all of a sudden and then al- you know almost just as quickly um we see a descending on the other side a descending slope and when you think about that in terms of grades, of course, that means that most grades, uh, you're going to have the aggregate around, you know, that if it's 60 degrees, that the 60% that they're trying to, um, you know, control for, you're going to have the mean or the average is going to be around 60, 62, whatever they're trying to control for. But that's also true for toxic exposure as well, right? So most of the initial, conse- like most of the initial consequences are going to be small, and then you're going to have this exponential increase in terms of the toxic load and the effect. And that is going to be, you know, most people are going to experience that um, sort of non-linear exponential slope. And then of course, as you move in terms of more toxic exposure, there can be also a drop off on the other side. And You know, I I mentioned before that toxicology and pharmacology are actually just the same thing. They're just looking at things from different ends of the spectrum, right? Like toxicology looks at, you know, what dose is big enough to cause a biological harm that we can call it toxic and pharmacology is like, what's the smallest dose of the toxin that I can give to someone to alter their biology, but not be big enough to cause an acute effect or an immediate insult. And, you know, maybe it's a separate geeky magic in terms of why that's actually a problem. But, you know, the goal in pharmacology is to make sure, you know, And just very frankly, and unfortunately, you know, it's a business, right? So they want to make sure that you are a client of some sort, that you are taking one of their many offerings, a pill for, you know, a myriad of ills. And because it is, you know, I'm using my fingers here, like air quote, low dose, and you know, I'm air quoting the words low dose the likelihood that you are going to feel anything from that is pretty much nothing, right? That's what toxicology is. They will look at, and pharmacology, they will look at you know, what's the amount that's going to cause an acute biological insult. And let's just go down from there until we see that no or that low or no L, which is the no observed adverse effects or no or no um, observed um, adverse effects. And because it's low dose, you're not necessarily going to feel anything. But but and it's a big but. If you take this medication for several months or several years, some, you know sometimes it's decades. We have zero idea what the long term effects of those drugs are going to be because they're usually not studied longer than that delta t that I mentioned, uh, longer than what they need for some sort of FDA approval. And of course, by the time any sort of disease, or, you know, uh, develops or there's some, you know, chronic issue that happens, it's super easy to say, well, hey, we don't know if this is the drug you've been taking for 10 years or it's some other factor that this patient has been engaging in, which of course is is very true, right? We have, we actually have no idea. But to dismiss it, um, almost entirely, which is usually what is done, I think is really unfair to the patient because we often blame the patient after we've medicalized them and drug them up with something. And of course, we also know that the likelihood of the patient just staying on one intervention, one drug, so low, right? There are usually other prescriptions that are given to manage the patient's side effects or symptoms. And I had this conversation with Dr. Kelly Brogan on the podcast, and I'll make sure that her podcast is linked out in the show notes for you to go and listen to. But what often happens is once we get a patient, like in the medical system, once a patient is put on a drug, then the goal is patient management. The goal is never to get them off, right? So, you know, let's, I'll give you an example. Like a, let's say a young girl goes on, you know, hormonal contraception, uh, you know, maybe she's having acne or, you know, maybe she wants it for contraception. Like, you know, she doesn't want to get pregnant or whatever in her twenties and she stays on this medication for 10 years, right? She hits her thirties or her forties or whatever. And maybe she notices her libido's dropping, her moods are dropping, uh, sex is becoming, uh, more painful. Um, and she goes in and she discusses this with her doctor. What do you think is more likely to happen? scenario number one, her doctor says, maybe we should try to get you off the pill. We're going to supplement you with some micro minerals like selenium and zinc. And of course we know that the pill gobbles up uh, B vitamins and CoQ10. So we're going to make sure that we get your supplement levels. We're going to test them. And then if they're low, we're going to make sure that we supplement you. And then I'm going to teach you, um, you know, fertility awareness methods. So you don't have to take a medical intervention. Um, or I'm going to teach you about your fertile, you know, your fertility, so that." You you know when it is physiological, physiologically the time that you can get pregnant. So is that likely or is this the more likely um, scenario where they might say, well, you know what? You probably just need a prescription for an antidepressant. That's going to fix all of your issues. So I mean, I've interviewed enough doctors. I've had enough women tell me the same story over and again to know that the likelihood of the latter, which is that she's going to be given a subsequent prescription is far more likely than the doctor spending more time on, you know, these other lifestyle uh, issues. And again, this is not, I'm not poo-pooing on medical doctors, right? Like this is not what this is about. This is, teaching you what the likely scenario is. And if you're okay with that, then all the power to you, then take the, you know, take the medication. My job here is to give you, um, a point of view that you probably have not heard before. And then you can evaluate whether or not this applies for you, um, in your life. Sodium is an essential nutrient involved in the maintenance of normal cellular balance, the regulation of fluid and electrolytes, and your blood pressure no questions asked, and you don't even need to return the box. Head over to drinklmnt.com forward slash Dr. Estima, that's dot com forward slash D-R-E-S-T-I-M-A, and you will get a free LMNT sample pack with any purchase. And the reason why I wanted to talk about pharmacology and toxicology, I did say we were talking about Clean beauty at the beginning, and I promise we're getting there. Um, I mean, the, this is important in the context of clean beauty because when we are looking at pharma and toxicology, um, they will look at these lowest observed effect levels or these no observed adverse effects levels called the low ale or the no ale. And This is, this is where I like, this is where I have to sort of put my stake in the ground because you hear these asinine marketing terms like, Hey, it's only a low dose version. You know, you're only getting a low dose version of the pill. You're only getting a low dose version of this antidepressant, which gives you a false sense of security and safety, quite frankly, because once, you know, pharmacology establishes that no ale or that no observed adverse effect level, they stop looking. They stop, they don't look any further than that. So they assume there's this assumption, which they do not test, that nothing else can happen because they have, they've established this NOEL. And I'm sorry, but for the entire, like, this is the basis for this entire field. And I believe that that is just asinine. And quite frankly, it's insane. And you know, when we look at pharmacology, a lot, a lot of the dosages, like if you were to go into your medicine cabinet, let's say you have a prescription for something, a lot of the dosage are dosages are given in milligrams. Like if we look at Prozac, for example, which is a very popular um, antidepressant, the dosage is usually around twenty milligrams. Uh, pardon me, yes, 20 milligrams. And if your doctor is on the ball, of course, they're not just going to give you the, you know, the standard 20 milligrams, they're going to adapt it to your body weight, right? Like drugs need to be dosed, you know, milligram per kilogram of body weight. So I also know that that is, almost never happening. They're just giving you like what the what the standard like they'll give you like the 20 milligrams, let's say. You know, birth control is also the same thing. So birth control will also be in milligrams. You'll usually have somewhere around three milligrams of, you know, synthetic progesterone and maybe 0.02 milligrams of synthetic estrogens, right? And this is important because our hormones, our actual hormones, not the synthetic stuff that we're taking. um, they are so much less than that. So when we, when we look at estradiol, which is the most um, abundant form of estrogen in a woman in her reproductive years, uh, estradiol is measured in picograms, which is typically measured, this is one trillionth of a gram, one trillionth. Okay. A milligram, which is, you know, what I just mentioned for the birth control, three milligrams of progesterone, 0.02 milligrams of estrogen. A milligram is one thousandth of a gram. A picogram is a trillionth. A testosterone often is measured in nanograms, which is about a billionth of a gram. So... These are small concentrations, right? These are small concentrations, but that's how endocrinology works. We, our hormones work in whispers, right? So all that to say that low dose of something, if someone says to you, oh, it's a low dose, it's fine, it's safe, whatever. It's not necessarily safe because it's still biologically active. And in many cases, you are given prescriptions that are orders of magnitude higher, orders of magnitude higher than our own levels. Which brings me to clean beauty. It brings me to our personal care products because these are also endocrine disrupting chemicals as well. When you put lotion on your face, when you put makeup on your face, you know, what happens is that you bypass phase one of liver metabolism. What that means is that let's say you put some cream on your face, it's going to go right into your bloodstream, right? Eventually makes its way to the liver. Uh, Many medications do this as well, right? Anything you get in the arm, you get any intramuscular, um, Uh, medication via needle, this is also going to bypass the liver. It will go right into the bloodstream. um, And it it eventually makes its way to the liver. And when we look at, you know, our personal care products, like the makeups and the hair dyes and the shampoos and all of that, these are usually full of phthalates, which have been shown to have this non-monotonic dose response. So that bell-shaped curve where we get a little bit of it and it's like kind of nothing. But then the more you are exposed to them, you get this non-linear exponential curve in terms of its lethality and its toxicity. So a couple of uh, places that you can find in terms of like clean beauty, um, we can find lead, for example, found in lipstick, found in dark hair dye. So all my brunette betties, I'm talking to you. I'm talking to myself too. And of course, lead is you know a toxin that damages cognitive ability, and significant exposure to lead can result in things like heart disease and stroke. Uh, I mentioned phthalates. So f- we find those in abundance in things like shampoos and deodorants and body washes and hair gels and sprays and nail polish. And of course, um, phthalates are, are really uh, something to be um, concerned with, especially as a woman, because we know that they, it causes, um, you know, birth defects in male fetuses and are associated with poor egg quality uh, and early menopause in women. There is a direct link between phthalates and breast cancer and type two diabetes. So really, really important to be thinking about uh, are phthalates. Parabens, right? 80% of cosmetics um, are found to have parabens in them and they do this to help Um, prevent things like molds and bacteria and yeasts and stuff like developing on your like eye makeup and whatever. And of course, again, linked to this endocrine and reproductive and developmental problems. SLS or sodium lauryl sulfate, again, in your shampoos, soaps, toothpaste, it's the thing that creates lather. You know, whenever you see like the lather, rinse, repeat thing on the shampoo, if you look in the ingredients, you're probably going to find sodium lauryl sulfate or SLS. Uh, Same thing with toothpaste. Toothpaste, You know, we think that we're cleaning our mouths if the toothpaste lathers when you really don't need that. And SLS can cause obviously skin irritation uh, linked to hair loss, uh, which is kind of important, um, especially for ladies who want their thick, um, you know, trusses of hair and risk of breast cancer and male infertility as well. And then some of the other things we can, I mean, you can go down, you can go down this crazy nerd um, rabbit hole with, uh, with endocrine disrupting chemicals, because literally when you look in your cleaning, you know, when you look at the things you use to clean your home and then the things you use to store your foods and then the products, like it's like never ending, like there's plastics and there's things everywhere. Um, Fluoride, um, another one found in toothpaste, obviously found in our drinking water in, in cities that have fluoridation. And... Um, you know, excess fluoride has been shown to weaken our bones and to negatively impact our brain function. Organophosphates, these are pesticides, right? Um, They are found obviously in the air, the soil and the food that we eat. So learning about organic farming practices, if you are growing your own food, which is something that I think we will do an episode on at a future date, I think is super duper important. Um, we could go, I mean, I could go on and on with all of these, uh, different types of, um, compounds, but basically what we want to be thinking about, you know, if there's some easy first steps that we want to think about, um, any candles or air fresheners? Like we've all had that experience where we've gotten into the Uber and they have those little tree things, like <laughs> those little air freshener tree things, and it just feels like you're smelling a bomb of chemicals, right? So throw out your scented chem- throw out your scented chemicals. You're basically paying someone else to pollute your indoor air. Um, nail polish, I mentioned. Um, thinking about um, where you store your food. So a lot of, a lot of you probably are already uh, looking at glass or stainless steel containers as an alternative. Um, and if you haven't, then that's maybe so, a place where you want to begin investing in. If you're like, listen, I can't throw out all my makeup. I can't throw out everything. You know, start buying a couple of glass containers for storing your food in the fridge. The other place that I would love to bring your attention to is feminine products, right? So it's the pads and it's the tampons and um, it's it's the feminine care products that we use while we're uh, menstruating. And of course this is often when we look at um, pads and tampons, First and foremost, stay away from the scented stuff. Like just get the unscented, you know, vaginas have, oh, you know, vaginas have normal smells. We don't need to cover them up. Um, I will do a, um, a post or a podcast soon on, um, like douches and, um, products where they market that you should have a certain smell, like, you know, candles that you should burn that smell like, like we are not your vagina has an odor. It has a normal odor. Um, and this is one of the ways that I think we have been taught in this patriarchal society that we are gross is by thinking about the odor of our vagina. And, um, I have, I have thoughts on it. I won't get into it now, but you can probably tell <laughs> what my opinion is, but I will be doing a, a sermon, a nerd sermon on, um, feminine care products and the odor of our vagina, which most men, you know, I mean, this is the, you know, this is the thing that they chase after. But so for, for, you know these toxic really crappy people to come out with um you know comments about the way that our um reproductive organs um should smell well, let's just shelf that for now. So I, w- I want to get back to the clean beauty stuff. Oh, I can go on different nerd tangents, can't I? Okay, so uh, we want to be thinking about non, uh, don't get the scented stuff. Um, that in and of itself uh, is an EDC, an endocrine uh, disrupting chemical. Um, and then if you notice that the most of the pads and tampons, they're white, right? So they've been bleached. Like cotton is not normally that sparkly white. Um, and think about your vulva, right? And your vagina. These are highly absorbed or, you know these areas absorb a lot uh they're highly sensitive areas so you know maybe you want to think about getting some of the um reusable pads or even a uh, a cup like a menstrual cup which is usually made of silicone and um you know it's a little pricey up front like they're maybe 30 or 40 bucks but then they last you like forever those are some places that we can start. What I would like to sort of finish off with today is that we are often bombarded with messages, right? This promise of youth, right? We have to just, all we have to do is just slather this toxic endocrine disrupting chemical all over our face and our body. And we're going to look like the airbrushed Photoshopped person, um, in the advertisement. And this is what we do as women, right? We eat up the promise of better skin, uh, without realizing it's just a marketing ploy, right? Um, you might, might look at a product like for me, you, you all know, if you've been listening to me long enough, you all know that I love rose. Like I love rose essential oils. I love rose scented products. I have a lot of dried roses in my cupboard that I actually cook with a lot. So I might look at a package that has, you know, it's marketed, um, that it has rose extract in the product. And of course my eyes are going to be like, what, would well, tell me more. Right. But it doesn't exactly tell you what, right. It, the packaging might have a beautiful picture of a rose. Uh, you might smell it and it might smell like a rose, but you have no idea how much rose extract is in there. You have no idea how many other compounds on the label, um, that are there before they the end, they put in the rose extract. And quite frankly, um, you know, the whole, you know, I'm sort of sick of this, this, these beauty lies that we're told as women, right? So what I am going to be doing um, next, uh, this month in June is we are going to actually have a program for you if you're interested in it. And we're going to really talk about the real root causes of aging skin, um, sagging facial muscles, which is something that can happen. um, But there are tools and techniques, natural tools and techniques that we can do to help with that. And then once we can help you understand sort of the anatomy and the physiology of the face and of the skin, um, we're basically going to be teaching you how to do your own non-surgical facelift. <laughs> and so I've actually paired up with Trina Felber, who you may remember from the podcast, she's been on twice once talking about uh, oral uh, care, so care for the teeth and care for the mouth. And she's also been on talking about skin. So we'll link to her skin episode as well and you'll get a gist of where we're going to do a lot of deep dives in. So I reached out to her and we are going to be doing a course together on how to basically learn Betty Beauty. So you're going to learn how to do your own non-surgical facelift. And as I mentioned, you know, one of the unique features of the face is that the muscles in the face attach directly to the skin, right? So unlike other areas of the body, that means that when we improve our skin, we can also improve the muscle tone and the appearance of the face. So we're going to be teaching you to lift and tone the forehead to reduce them, uh, what are called the nasolabial folds, which are basically the lines that go from your nose to the corner of your mouth, developing jowls, uh, and droopy eyelids. So we're going to learn, um, some natural tools to help tone those muscles. Uh, there's manual techniques that we're going to go over and, um, things that you can be doing to help improve that. So we're going to talk about like face yoga, face tapping um, and understanding why these muscles and, and skin sag with time. We're also going to actually go, we're going to teach you how to learn to read a label basically. So we're going to go over what your skin needs every single day to be healthy, the ingredients that help with dryness, the ingredients that make dryness worse. Um, We're going to talk specifically about perimenopausal skin because a lot of women in their 40s typically start noticing like changes in their dryness level, uh, more acne, more dullness, like flaky skin, fine lines and wrinkles, that kind of thing. So we're going to talk a lot about perimenopausal skin and menopausal skin as well. And we're going to highlight, you know, ideal ingredients and formulations, right? So we're going to teach you how to make some of your own, uh, clean beauty stuff, uh, including essential oils. And we're going to talk about makeup, um, for natural beauty. And then finally, we're going to talk about skincare routines. So, um, I've been talking a lot today about these endocrine disrupting chemicals, um, that exist not only in pharmacology and toxicology, but it just in our everyday life. Like you have, you're a woman who has a period, you know, approximately once a month and you're using pads and or tampons. Uh, You've been doing that probably for 20 or 30 years. You have Tupperware, you have, you know, the house cleaning products. Like we're going to just basically talk about streamlining and simplifying your skincare routine. So morning and evening skincare routine. We're going to talk about some different, I'm really interested in how we can clean up our home chemicals. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. And we're going to talk about this idea of addition through subtraction. What are the unnecessary steps that are marketed to us that we need? And then how can we maximize some of the products that we maybe already have? Um, and then basically simplifying your routine so that it can be easy and enjoyable. So if that is something, um, oh, and I'll also just say, we also want to talk about how our skin changes through the season. So you know that I'm all about cyclical living, right? So we're going to talk about how our skin changes through the decades and even through menstrual cycle and how your product use might change over the course of your menstrual cycle. And if you're menopausal, how it might be, how you want to be thinking about your skin in your fifties and sixties and beyond. So if you are interested in that, you can head over to hellobetty.club forward slash betty beauty. The link will be in the show notes. Um, but I'm really, really excited about this because I think that, you know, we had Dr. Shafali Sabari on the show uh, recently, and we were talking about this, like these lies around beauty and these lies around youth. And I think that, you know, when we think about the cosmetic industry, we think about, you know, the stuff that we're peddled, it is a billion with a B, you know, a, probably more than a billion really dollar industry. And I just, I want to, I want to protect you in the ways that I can. You know, I have access to some of these experts and I take their, their wisdom. I take the knowledge and the time that they have spent learning about this stuff and I implemented them to my own life. And I also want to share it with you. So hello, Betty.club forward slash Betty beauty. I hope to see you there. There's going to be live coaching with me and Trina. You can ask all your questions and it's just going to be a great time. And I hope that it's going to be something that you enjoy too. So we will see you very soon in Betty beauty, uh, our latest offering from the hello Betty, um, enterprise, and, uh, just really looking forward to sharing this stuff with you. Cause this is what makes us feel really good. And I know that in the past couple of years, I've absolutely, uh, simplified and streamlined my skin care routine and my skin has never looked better. So with that, I will leave you to, uh, check out the website and we'll see you next time. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. For those of you who want to continue on this week's Geeky Magic Carpet Ride with me, visit bettershow.co forward slash show notes. You'll find research, links, summary notes, musings that I prepared in preparation for the podcast. And I often throw in some of my best practices, bonuses, and links. All the juicy bits are in there for you.